amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, another nail biter of a showdown with us versus team resources yeah i really thought I w- we were gonna we were gonna pull it out pull out pull out the 3-0 sweep in the last round i thought we were i don't know is yeah was the, we started out 0-3 and i was like oh this is gonna be strict haven all over again <laughs> and then we got got the couple wins almost looked like we were gonna 3-0 the second round and be 3-3 but we were we got two so we were 2-4 had to win out and it came down to my last game my game three against marshall and i just I couldn't beat the mythic dragon couldn't beat Zia Tora, the mythic dragon. Yeah, yeah, I mean, those are always an absolute blast. And the takeaway I have from them almost every time and the more magic I play is just that playing games of magic matters so much. I mean, like I feel very comfortable drafting and that's my passion is drafting. But I think I have come to the conclusion that I am a very good magic player, but I am not a great magic player. This is always your thing, though, right? Like, I feel like after one of the showdowns, you're like, I just got to play tighter. And I was like, but do you will you do that? And you're like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> no, I won't. Like, but I. That's the thing. I'm comfortable with my level of magic player. But it is it is apparent to me in these showdown videos that I am very good and not great. And that LSV and BK and Marshall are great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, So we'll be doing that uh, a little later. We're not going to be breaking that down today. There's still too much. The format's too fresh to be uh, diving into the the LR versus Lowell showdown. But you can check those out on our VODs if you want to. Um, I'll have my draft up on our YouTube channel, I think. And then we'll also be breaking down that as like a roundtable bonus episode a little bit later. But for now, what do we got going on today, Ben? We have Streets of New Capenna, how to draft a responsible mana bases going on. There have been some absolute doozies that have been given <laughs> to me on stream in, you know, deck checks, deck doctors, whatever you want to call them. And it's so hard to fix once you get done with the draft if you didn't draft well. So we're going to dive into how to build your mana bases and even more than how to build your mana bases, how to draft with your mana base in mind, I think. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely, I think, the number one question. Even coming into this, people are like, how do you draft a three-color format? Well, first of all, spoiler alert, this is not a three-color format. Um, But also, I think just how these picks are dictated by your mana base. Part of it is like thinking about just staying open, period. And then part of it is, I think, understanding the rules of engagement or just sort of the rules of what decks you can end up with at the end of the format. So we're going to talk about all that good stuff. A few housekeeping things before we dive into that. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show. And we like to give back to those who give back to the show. We give you access to our Discord 24-7 limited tech support. We give you access to the show a day early if you want that. We give you access to a private section of the Discord. We even give you access to monthly coaching sessions if you move all the way up the reward tiers. So head on over to the Patreon page if you want to get back to the show if any of those perks sound good to you. And of course, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold the first week that they join. So this week, we're welcoming V, Rena, Brian, Victor, Data Pusher, Kyle, and Tom. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. 
Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. CFB Pro, we've been talking about it a lot recently, but seriously, if you're not on CFB Pro, what are you doing? We write articles every week, me, you, Alex. There's pros that write articles if you're about the standard or constructed life, write articles about that weekly. They've started doing these AMAs with some of their big hitter celebrities. Reed Duke has done one. LSV has an AMA coming up on May 24th at 3 p.m. Pacific time in their Discord. So there's a lot of perks for CFB Pro, and it's super affordable. It's $9.99 a month if you want to get that amount back in store credit. If you're already shopping at Channel Fireball, it's essentially free, or you can do it for $4.99 a month as well. In addition to that, they've got weekly giveaways for CFB Pro members, usually a booster box. So if you like you know, being entered in the sweepstakes for a giveaway, I never win those things. Do you? Wow. Of course you would say something <laughs> like that. Of course, Ben's like, I never win things. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> in addition to those booster box they're giving away over at CFB Pro, Paper Magic is back. So if you need SNC sealed product or singles, you know, maybe you're getting ready for a tournament, maybe you want to draft with your friends. You can get all that stuff over at channelfireball.com while supporting LGSs near you. So for anything that you do over at Channel Fireball, whether it's registering for CFB Pro or getting some product, please make sure you use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. So much has already happened in Streets of New Capenna. We've already done the showdown with uh, Team Resources. I already competed in a big tournament last weekend. We did the um, early access event. This format hasn't even been live for two weeks online. It's old news. But like... It does feel like so much has happened already. Like I, I'm sort of forgetting like, oh, we still need to probably like check in on where we're at before we do any sort of like, you know, big picture or like, you know, main topic for the podcast. So, so what do you want to talk about just in specifics with what's going on with Streets this week? I would like to know where you're at on red green as a two color base. Do you feel similarly to how you did last week? Because I am still pretty firmly on I do not want to be red green as my base colors if I can avoid it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, I think. A couple of things have happened for me this week. You know, I, I messed around with red green quite a bit, messed around with red quite a bit. Um, and, you know, I, I think just I'm often resistant to writing off, especially in a in basically what's a guild format, right? So we're already cutting our options in half and then all writing one of those off just makes me feel so bad. I'm like, that can't be right, right? There can't be only four options of decks to get into. But one of the things that I kept coming up against with red green, and I think this is helping me to put in perspective why it's so weak and why you were so off of it immediately. There's a couple of things is that red green folds to gathering throng a lot of the time, right? A lot of my red decks that I play, I feel like if my opponent goes gathering throng on three or whenever they do it and goes and fetches up even one, but often if it's just two, I don't really know how I'm not supposed to get absolutely outvalued by that card. And that's a really bad spot to be in. Right. Like losing to White's third best common or something. <laughs> right. That's a that's a really bad place to be in. Whereas, you know, even red black, I think, with menace can get around it. So, you know, even your mayhem patrol, you can threaten you and be like, well, you cannot you have to either double block this or whatever. Your girder goons like attacks past it, and then you're left with a two-two that you don't mind trading off with a three-one, whatever. Similarly, Red green really folds to shield counters. It's basically mm. impossible for you to not get two for one by shield counters. Whereas again, red black has access to whack and deal gone bad and Rafine silencer to sort of fight against that night clever. Maybe sometimes if it's just a, a one toughness creature. So I, I that's I think the difference for me about why I I enjoy red black a little bit more. I feel like red black can stand up to what is the best deck. I mean the best deck is brokers some some version of brokers either base white blue or white green. 
Um, and I think that red green just struggles really hard to combat a lot of the things that that deck does pretty easily. Yeah, I completely agree. It feels similar to in War of the Spark, much that it was a Grixis format, like, and I didn't mm-hmm. want to draft green and white. I feel similarly about specifically red green as a color combination here. I think green is fine, and certainly green paired with white is very good, if not the best deck in the format. I think it's very close with blue white, but red green just, I think, for all those reasons you listed, falls a little flat. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that, like, if I open a card like Jet Mirror or whatever, that I'm not going to go after it. And we'll sort of talk about that as a, a path or a, a way to begin a draft and successfully end a draft as well. But it's definitely something that I'm a bit more, you know, m- when I see something like a Snooping Newsy, I'm a little bit more excited about, like, oh, maybe I should get into that because these two drops are so scarce and these are important signposts. I feel less so about a Jet Mirror's fixer these days. Well, and one of the most awkward things, even more than just red-green suffering, is that Riveteers is not good, right? So essentially, mm-hmm. when you're red-green, you're leaving yourself out to be red-green or Cabaretti. Like, there are not very many Riveteers cards that you are incentivized to splash as a third color when you are base red-green. Right. I mean, you get like the red, green, black multicolored cards aren't that good. You got like the four two haste that's like indestructible. The turn it comes into play. I mean, Mr. Orfeo is pretty good, but I mean, Riveteer's charm, the charms or whatever. I, I don't know. I I agree with you that you don't get these like big payoffs that you get. And then there's this other awkward thing with red, green where, OK, you go, all right, well, I don't want to pair it with black. So then I'll pair it with white. But one of the things that white does so well, the reason that white is so good is that it gets actual good two drops. Right. And then you don't get to play those. (laughs) And so then one of the things that I feel is a defining feature of this format is bad two drops or there's just not good two drops, but they're so important, which is one of the reasons that as you as you claimed the big four, though, I guess maybe it's really the big three or the big four. And instead of Jetmere's fixture, it's a regulator. But one of the things that white does so well is it provides you with Rafine's informant and backup agent as two good two drops or two two drops you're happy to play. I mean, Rafine's informant is like the third best performing common in the set overall. And I think part of that is just that it, I mean, it smooths your draws, whatever, but also just, hey, that's a two drop. Well, if your base red green splashing white in your Cabaretti deck, then you can't play those cards. Or Civil Servant is your green-white two-drop of choice. Well, you can't play that, really, or like you can splash it, but it's just super awkward. And that, I mean, that sort of leads into what we're going to talk about in the episode today, but that's been my feeling about red-green. That's maybe some... I mean, I think you probably felt a lot of those things instinctually, but we didn't really spell those out last week, and I think those are the reasons why I think red-green falls so hard in this format. Yes, and if you are doing things like being base red-green and putting Rafine's Informant in your deck... Stop it. Stop. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> Stop right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, anything else that you felt uh, about the format this week? I have felt like it's hard to get into brokers. And maybe that's just I got in some unlucky draft pods. But in my last eight to 10 drafts, I have not been able to get into brokers. And so I felt like this is the quickest that best of one has ever adjusted to the metagame. Like I was expecting at least another week or two of being able to pretty reliably get brokers. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe I'm just not fighting hard enough for it but i've been playing a lot of maestros recently and losing a lot with maestros to brokers decks so they're still definitely out there but i think if you have been feeling that brokers is not necessarily open you're not alone and i think if you are still able to get the brokers decks certainly you need to be aware that that time is running to an end potentially yeah for sure i mean it feels a little bit to me like blue black from midnight hunt or like that was just like clearly the best deck at the start i mean i guess it didn't end up being the best deck blue white ended up being the best deck but it was like so clearly the best deck at the start and then like everyone was was 
getting into it and that's how they were you know grinding the ladder or whatever and then i think things adjusted a little bit um i I don't know how are you off-ramping then from brokers like if brokers isn't open what are you doing well i think that's the most interesting part of the format right because you always want to try to be brokers but i think Mm -hmm. learning how to leave yourself open to being brokers while not train wrecking then if you get pushed off of brokers is really interesting to me in the in the draft format and i think i've found personally that base blue black is a really good off ramp because mm-hmm. if you start blue like trying to get into blue white and white's not open you can still pivot into base blue black for either obscure or maestros and both of those are good decks i have not been winning with them because i'm still playing against great brokers decks and i think you do lose more of the time to great brokers decks when you are not brokers mm-hmm. but i'm still not thrilled with red green as a base so it's been awkward when i start green white as far as ramping off you just kind of have to take what comes if once you start down the green white path because it's really awkward to to pivot off of green white into base green red well and also green white feels a little bit it's so so interesting you think like oh it's a three color format it's so wide open and then you really zoom in a little bit and you go no it's actually a two color format and it's actually only an allied two color format and then it's actually only a two color format where i don't really want to be red green and i want to be in this you know white based either white blue green or white green blue but being white green sort of only gets you you know, you really are only happy being white green if you're pairing with blue, because when you pair with red, you do need basically like from the commons, you're happy with strangle. And then you do need like a Rocco or something, or even something higher up, like a Ginny Fay or a Jetmere to feel like, okay, this is worth touching red as my third color for, because red otherwise doesn't provide you a lot of single pipped cards that you're happy to play later in the game, you know? Is it too niche to have a Survivor crossover on our Lords of Limited podcast because you just went all Christian on the listeners there? (laughs) (laughs) I did, I did. I really really went deep there. I went too deep, sorry, sorry. I'll I'll reel it in, I'll reel it in. (laughs) That's great. I wanted to ask you about a few individual cards. So I, you know, we talked about bad removal being good last week, or I did, you maybe pushed back a little bit. I've still felt that hold for ransom. Oh, and this is one of the other reasons that red green, I think (laughs) is also bad in the format is that it folds to these cheap pieces of interaction, like hold for ransom and witness protection. Whereas at least when you're red, black, you can sacrifice stuff when you're red, green, like you just can't do that against those enchantments, you know? Right. I'm buying on hold for ransom. That's come up for me. I think it's a good removal spell. Still not sold on the legitimate business person, but I do think hold for ransom certainly is fine to good. Yeah, I would encourage you to experiment with uh, witness protection a little bit more. I think I think it's worth it in this format. Um, I also wanted to ask you about make disappear. This is the uh, you know conditional counter spell one on a blue counter the thing unless its controller pays two and then it has casualty one. So you can sack a thing to make them pay four. I think this card is good. I mean, this is currently the top performing blue common on 17 lands. I have come around to it being playable. I played (laughs) with it more and I wasn't amazed. I mean, it does have some of the drawbacks of counter spells where it's awkward if you leave up mana and you're behind, like getting behind in this format is a disaster. And so this not affecting the board is tough, but Mm -hmm. it is. I do find myself lots when my opponent has two mana open. Like if they have make disappear here, I lose the game. Like (laughs) I have been trying to think about that and that has come up a lot. So I moved it up in my pick order. I've played with it a little bit. I think it's a solid C, C plus. I don't know if I'm buying best blue common yet, but maybe I'm just too resistant to the data. That's certainly a possibility. 
Yeah, well, and there's, there, it is worth noting, I think, that it's a pretty big difference between best of one and best of three for this card specifically. Um, I think we often just look at best of one data, and I think that that's more reliable because it's a larger sample size. But I think important to note that, like, you know, a counterspell like this gets worse in best of three once you've seen it from your opponent. You can play around it, et cetera. You know, that was one of the considerations I had. I was drafting blue in the, the team draft the other day, and I was like, wow, make disappear is probably going to be way worse in team draft. Right. One, because it's best of three. And then two, because once I show it to Luis, then he goes and tells BK and Marshall, hey, Ethan's got make disappear in his deck, right? So then they're already primed against it in game one. Um, not to say that it's like unplayable or anything, but just certainly significantly worse. I think what, two of the things that work well for this card in this format is one is it gives you an opportunity to one for one with cards that you don't get to one for one against, like a blitzed girder goons or even just, you know, the two one flyer that draws you a card and gains you a life or stopping jewel thief from making a treasure or whatever, like ways to deal with those things that are going to create value once they hit the battlefield. And two, unlike a quench, it does scale with the game, right? And so you can, late in the game, you can still, by sacking a body, and then you do need that body that you're happy to sack, but you can basically turn this into a hard counter later in the game too. Yeah, I've been impressed by it. Not enough to pick it crazy highly. Like, no. I'm never taking it over Expendable Lackey. You will have to fight me to the death about that, but... Maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I'm a dinosaur. And the oh, one other thing I would say about the card being good is that it gets better in the context of connive that you can also pitch it. And it's also a thing that you're happy to pitch if you're like, ah, I'm not actually I'm going to be tapping out the next three turns. Let me pitch it now. And I get the plus one plus one counter. That's also nice. Yes, um, I agree. Have you played with security bypass? This is the aura that if the thing attacks alone, it's uh, unblockable. And then when it connects, it connives like obviously it's cute in the virtuoso combo with the white double striker but i've also just found it to be kind of good on its own sometimes i have not played with it yet i've lost to it some and i know echo bravo is super high on it as well mm, okay yeah yeah so that's just been a card that i was like oh i think this might just be better outside of that combo and i think there are probably some deeper considerations about when you want to run it obviously when you're a little bit more assertive maybe when you've got shield counters or or make disappears whatever to protect the thing you're suiting up but yeah i've liked it and then i also wanted to check in about the you know all the black recursion spells like fake your own death versus dig up the body versus rogues gallery and what your thoughts are on all three of them sort of maybe how you're prioritizing them thinking about them as redundant pieces anything like that I like them in the order you listed. Fake one, yeah. dig two, rogues gallery three. I, I basically never wanted a rogues gallery because I don't want to be multiple colors. Mm -hmm. And then dig is really good, I think, in the maestros control decks. Certainly if you've got, is it Cormella to do like some sort of clear the mind-ish loopsy type stuff with dig up the body and Cormella. And fake your own death, I think, is just very good in any black deck that wants to be blitzing or proactive or has good ETBs. And Corrupt Court Official is just wildly good with both of those cards, right? As fodder for Dig Up the Body to get two things back or paired with Fake Your Own Death. I've just like felt so good, you know, passing my opponent attacks with Jewel Thief, block with Court Official, Fake Your Own Death, trade with Jewel Thief, and it comes back and you discard and I get a treasure. Yeah, Fake Your Own Death has been awesome. Yep, completely agree. And I would say before we go, you know, you were talking about the format being narrow. Before we go. Only, well, I'd go into the episode, you know, <laughs> like before we dive into the next segment. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You've been talking about the format being narrow because there's essentially only the four allied color pairs. I do think there are a lot of different flavors of those allied color pairs for what it's worth. I, I am enjoying the format. There's a lot of hate on the format, but there are a lot of flavors of green-white. There are a lot of flavors of blue-white. 
I still think there's a lot of room to explore. <laughs> what? Yeah, but like, I mean, well, so I, I mean, I don't like to, I don't, don't like to often bring just because like when I listen to other podcasts and people are like, I don't like the format. I do like the format. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, tell me how to win or tell me how to sure, do well. Sure, so sure, try sure, and, sure, sure, sure. Try sure. not bring that. But I am, I one, I am getting pretty bodied in this format. I have a pretty <laughs> abysmal win rate right now. And I am also not enjoying it for the reasons stated of like it being narrow. But like you're like, there are flavor like the best deck is <laughs> brokers. And there are so many different ways you can win with brokers. Like that's not a good format in can my I mind. Can I interest like, you in strawberry or extra strawberry yeah, right. or triple extra <laughs> strawberry ice cream? Or or light <laughs> strawberry if you want, you know, like it's fine. Like low fat strawberry. <laughs> just that's not a selling point for me unfortunately fair enough i was just trying to defend the format's honor a little bit yeah i mean, like, I, I mean i'm glad that you're enjoying it i'm also and, and especially that you're you're having a lot of success with it maybe now that that your your uh, fave deck isn't open for you every single draft maybe things will will shake out a little differently but we'll, we'll see yeah i did i did some fair amount of losing this week oh good glad to hear it glad to hear it all right we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be back <laughs> with our main feature here for the episode Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is a product that I've started using every day to improve my energy and immune system. I take it first thing in the morning, and even though it looks like a green smoothie, it tastes like a vanilla protein shake. So what is this stuff? With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. It's lifestyle-friendly whether you eat paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, or low-carb like me. It supports better sleep quality and recovery as well as mental clarity and alertness, all things important for grinding those weekend magic tournaments. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com LOL. Again, that is athleticgreens.com LOL to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now back to the show. All right, Ben, how are we approaching drafting this three-color format with regards to mana we've gotten a lot of questions about this and maybe a lot of inadvertent questions as you talked about with like getting deck techs from people on stream with bad mana bases or you know two drops in all three colors that sort of thing so what are your thoughts going into this format well you're already spreading misinformation this is not a three color (laughs) format this is the problem like yeah these people just subconsciously have in their mind that this is a three color format it is not a three color format like no. I, whatever we said last week 66 percent of the time 75 percent of the time i, I want to bump it up to like 80 percent of the time you should be two colors or two colors with a very light splash yeah so i am hoping to find my allied two color pair base before i start taking lands and this is different than i think what we talked about last week this is different than how i was initially drafting the format and i was taking lands just below like the top commons from each color but now I'm much less interested in that and more interested in finding what the open two-color seat is and then getting lands later. And it really reminds me of how I was initially approaching Zendikar Rising, where I was like, oh, you want to take all these MDFC lands so highly, and then you just like end up with like eight or nine in your deck. And then by the end of the format, I was like, no, no, no. I just want to find out what two-color deck I'm supposed to be in, and then I'll end up with like one to three MDFCs once I figure that out. 
Yes, I completely agree. And I think some of us drafting lands highly was we bought into this is a three color format. You're going Mm -hmm. to be splashing your three colored gold cards fairly often. So you need the lands to do that and all that sort of stuff. And I just don't think that's true. And I think to your point, if you do actually find the open allied color pair, you tend to sometimes even wheel those lands because there are less people at the table that actually have a use for them, which is just awesome for you. Right. Well, if if blue-black is open for your seat and you navigate your way into that, you can often get what I forget what it is, like the waterfront land, the blue-black tap land. You can get that like 10th or whatever, and that's great. And that just really goes to show why you don't need to prioritize them because one of the disasters you can get into is you start whatever you out of a week pack you're like i'll just take this riveteers land and partially let's you know for the example of this like let's say riveteers isn't a bad deck but then you end up in (laughs) obscura well now that land pick that you took fourth is completely wasted and i think it's just better to take even something that's like a role player common over something like that right i do think you want to know your deck before you take the land super aggressively yeah Um, And I think you just need to have a sense of the allied colors throughout your entire draft. Just go in and understand, because I I see this in coaching sessions a lot of times of like not people not really make it seems to me like the easy pick here is take a black card because it leaves you open to two decks and someone will be like, I'm gonna take this red card. I'm like, yeah, but that is effectively like taking a red gold card because you can only play that in Cabaretti or whatever, right? Whereas if you take this black card, it gives you outs to be two of these families or whatever. So like if you start with a Jewel Thief and then you take your Girder Goons, it's not, they're both good cards, but like I don't want to start a draft with those two cards because that I can only play them in one deck and that one deck is also a deck I'm hoping to not play a lot of the time. Well, or even make it two better cards. Make it, make it, make it inspiring overseer and pugnacious pugilist like that you're not playing both of those cards in the same deck you're playing you can you could it's very unlikely that your base white red though and if your base white green the the pugilist is not that good that you really want to splash it if you start a draft with overseer and then in the next pack the best card is pugilist yes you're sort of you're open a little bit more right it's not exactly what i'm saying here but if you are taking that red, green, white, 4-2 Vigilance when it dies, like you look at the top five and grab a creature. Brazen Upstart. Yeah, so taking Pugilist there is effectively like taking Upstart in the sense of that's only going to make, like that card plus the Overseer are only going to make your deck if you end up in Cabaret. Whereas, you know, so you take Pugilist, sure, then you're open to two different things, but the likelihood that those two cards make your deck is only if you end up in Cabaretti and only the specific flavor of Cabaretti, right? Where maybe with Pugilist, you're base red, unless you're thinking about blitzing it. But there's all these considerations of starting off a draft with two cards like that. Right. And I do think that's, for me, at least an interesting part of the format is like, there's different kinds of drafts. And we'll go into this in a little bit. But just navigating your draft as you go along, knowing what your outs are, every step of the way and how many paths you have not to not to reel in survivor but (laughs) you have you have paths down the draft and you're trying to keep them open for as long as possible until you hone in on okay here's what i'm doing yeah for sure i I still think i'm picking fetch lands ahead of the dual lands but this is in the context of until i know my two color base and then i do think the dual lands that are draw lands are better but this is a sort of moot because of how i'm now approaching the format in terms of finding that two color base first before taking lands yes i think that is true as well i have found a little bit of tension with the fetch lands like once i get into fetch land number four 
I get a little worried about having too many fetches, like even if I'm running 18 lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You're worried not because you're like going to fail to find you just worried about too many tap lands. What are you worried about? Too, too many tap lands and not hitting like land drops four, five and six. Like if you start out going fetch land crack, fetch land crack, like then all of a sudden you're not hitting your land drops as reliably. Right. Because you only have like 12 lands left in your deck. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. Um, here are some general heuristics I have for base two color decks and splashes. I think you want to have eight sources minimum of your main two colors and ideally more. I mean, I, I, as Ben is talking about this format, you know, 80% of the time, maybe even more, you should just be a two color deck or a two color deck with a very light splash of, you know, whatever, if you're blue, black and you're splashing some white or splashing some red, that's fine. Um, I think ideally any splash enablers like an ominous parcel or the fetch lands, I want them to be more dedicated to my splash sources than my main sources. This is more important to think about if you're splashing two to three colors, like if you're base blue, black, and then touching both red and white. Well, then I also I don't want to have my parcel like counting towards my blue, black base. I really want to rely on it to fetch up whatever my, my splash colors are. And then you want to think about why you're splashing, not just because you can, but like, are these splash cards worth it? Are they shoring up a hole in your deck, like a bomb or a piece of removal? Are they still good off curve? Think about something like Discipline Duelist is still going to be really hard to deal with on turn six, right? The green, white, blue, two, one, double strike shield counter. Body Dropper, that's really important to get down on turn two so that every subsequent blitz can trigger it. When Body Dropper doesn't come down until turn six, it's not that impactful. Also, you can't, you know, then activate it the turn it comes into play because black red is probably one of those two colors is your splash, whereas body dropper needs that activation to sack stuff. So that's not something that's worth splashing. That that type of thing is is something you want to consider. Yes, and you want to make sure that they don't impact your mana base too much. Like you really only want to have one basic to support your splash. Now it's a different story if you end up in a full three color deck, but that's much more rare. And we are trying to discourage you from thinking of this as a three color format. And what we're saying light splash, we mean like two of maybe the three colored gold cards that are mm-hmm. very good and and or a removal spell that you critically need. Like you really need powerful reasons to splash. And just we've talked about this before. We've done episodes on mana bases before to hammer this home. Limited mana bases as they stand are bad. This is like you to understand why we're so cautious of splashing. You have to operate from a position of limited mana bases are bad. A 10-7 split or a 9-8 split in your 17 lands is still going to result in you having opening hands of like four black cards and three mountains. And you go, oh, cool, I have to mulligan. That's going to happen just some amount of the time. When you throw in a third color of cards to cast and a third color of mana to have in your deck, that screws that up even more. So if you operate from that standpoint, then you understand why we're so cautious about this and why we're so like emphatically saying this is a two color format. Right. And and not to rehash old episodes, but just if you're splashing, you want three sources for one card. So that would be like maybe two, two fetch lands and a basic or like a fetch land, a basic and a gold allied gold thing. Like maybe your blue black splashing a red card and you've got the black red duel, whatever that is. So Mm -hmm. three sources for one card, four sources for two cards and anything past that in this format. I think you are just more towards three colors and want way more than five sources, probably. And even for one or two cards in this format, if you can get, you know, upwards of five, six sources for your discipline duelist to still make it more likely that that two one double striker comes down on curve, 
you should be trying to do that. Yes, absolutely. For for a, a card as powerful as that. I think even something like Lagrella, which is the, you know, two, three comes into play, exiles a creature they control and one that you control if you want. And then, you know, when it leaves the battlefield, they get the creatures back. You know, that doesn't have to come down on turn three. So that's fine. But something like Duelist, yeah, that's better if that comes down on turn three for sure. Yeah. So I think another thing that people don't think about enough in this format when they're drafting is that drafting two and three drops has a huge impact on your mana base. Like once you're drafting along and you have a couple two drops in a color, let's say it's black, it's very difficult for you to not be black as one of your base colors because like, yes, you can pivot into a totally different color pair or whatever, but that means you also have to then pick up two drops in that color pair to be able to compete. And I think if we haven't said it enough, you have to in this format be casting a two drop on turn two, be casting a three drop on turn three, or else you fall behind. And it's so punishing to fall behind in this format because there's so many good ways for you or your opponent, whoever's ahead, to leverage tempo, whether that be premium combat tricks like For the Family or Majestic Metamorphosis or just leveraging removal spells. Or there are just a lot of tempo cards like Blitz in the format. If you're behind and your opponent's blitzing, it's really hard to get out of that hole. Yeah, very, very difficult. I think Blitz really punishes people for stumbling or even just for doing like tap land, tap land, that type of deal. So when you're drafting and you pick a black two drop, it's pretty likely that you're going to end up black or certainly by the time you have two black two drops or three black two drops. And I think you should be picking two drops very aggressively. So as you're drafting, really be aware of what your two and three mana value cards are asking of you color wise. And I, I feel very strongly that this is true. Even if you are a three color deck, if you have two drops that are of three different colors, you are doing something very wrong. Even in a full on three color deck, all of your two drops should be two colors or one color. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make a case for, hey, Corrupt Court Official is a card that like, I'm fine to play that on turn four if I can double spell or whatever. And that's true. But then you're in that ter- like if that's the territory you're in where corrupt court official is a card you're splashing in your deck, then you're just in full three color pile territory. And there are going to be times where that's the correct deck for you to be drafting. But one, it's not four cards like that. So that may end up being a result of uh, having another powerful card that's three colors that you want to support. Um, but you just want to be aware that that's like not the spot to be in and that that spot sh- should be a-, a thing that's happening, what, 15% of the time where you're th- in that full three color soup deck or whatever yeah maybe even less than that and honestly i would almost extend that to your three mana value cards that the only reason you should have something in your three mana value slot that is not two colors is for a powerful actual three color gold family card or maybe inspiring overseer this is why brokers is so dumb is because yeah i guess what you're splashing overseer or whatever but also just like you think about okay discipline duelist and lagrella like this three color cards are so nutso and you look at the three color cards from other families and they're just they can't even compete right so here's here's a good example of this like things that i've seen so you're red black and red black is pretty focused and you have a jewel thief and you have fixing for your jewel thief like Jewel Thief is a good card. It's not good enough to change your mana for in your red black deck or even your white blue deck. Like you shouldn't be putting Jewel Thief in there because Jewel Thief's power comes from it always coming down on turn three consistently and then helping you cast your other cards. You know what I mean? Like people hear Jewel Thief is great. They think three color format. Great. I'll stick my Jewel Thief in my red black deck or I'll stick my Jewel Thief in my white blue deck. That's not what you want to be doing in this format. Right. One of the things that we didn't touch on the third point about like thinking about splashing like that it's that that point about it still being good off curve and sure Jewel Thief is still fine coming down on turn six or whatever, but it's still 
not really doing what it does best. And again, you may play it in that white blue deck that's full three colors, but that shouldn't be happening very often. Yes, I completely agree, obviously, because it's my point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so another way that your draft starts. I think the way to end up in that three color deck that you're alluding to or that we keep alluding to that you draft 10, 15% of the time is when you start a draft with a super powerful three color card. Like let's take Jetmere Nexus of Rebels, for example. That's the one red, white, green, four, four rare that as you hit certain thresholds of creatures, you get power and toughness boost, not toughness boost, but power and ability boost. So at three creatures, your creatures get plus one, plus oh, and vigilance. At six, they get another plus one, plus oh, and trample. And then at nine, what do they do? Something ridiculous. Plus one, plus oh, and double strike. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the card is very good. So let's say you start your draft with a jet mirror. I think you should not be thinking, okay, I'm cabaretti. You should be thinking, how can I hone down to two colors? Okay, I've got a jet mirror, pack one, pick one. I want to be base green, white, and not put that many other red cards in my deck. And if push comes to shove, I will be base red, green, and splash this jet mirror. You know what I mean? Rather than thinking, okay, I've got a powerful three color card. I'm cabaretti. You should be doing the other thing. How can I get down to two colors with a light splash? Because you really want those good two and three drops, and specifically green, white, because of how good civil servant is. That's the green, white, two, three that uh, whenever it attacks, you can tap another citizen to give it plus one, plus oh, and lifelink. Yeah, yeah, that card is very, very strong. And I agree that those are all really good considerations of, okay, starting off with this three color card, but what does that mean? That means I want to figure out what my base two colors is and knowing what I know about the format, I would like that to not be red green if at all possible. So I'm thinking about being base green white. You know, maybe you can end up in a spot where you're like base white blue and double splashing, whatever. But like already with that pack one, pick one, I'm thinking about what are the, again, let's just keep talking about Survivor, (laughs) the paths of this draft where this card makes my deck and I have a functional mana base. Yeah, and there there are not a lot of paths for some cards. And I think it's so it's so tempting if you go like Jetmere Nexus of Rebels into, you know, Brazen Upstart. That's the four two that when it dies, Mm -hmm. you get to search up five creatures into Cabaret Charm. Five oh, creatures? <laughs> you could search up the top five cards of your library and pick a creature. You knew what I meant. I knew what you meant, but I was I was excited about that card. Four two that dies and gets you five creatures. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, or and then Cabaretti Charm. You still want to get down to base two colors for your two and three drops. Yeah. It's so important to not just think, well, like to give up, I think. I think so many people just think, ah, eh, three color format, it'll be fine. Like it's not okay. It's so tough. Wait, yeah. And what happens when you start that draft with like Jet Mirror into Brazen Upstart into Cabaretti Charm? Like, that's just such a mess. First of all, your curve is bad. Second of all, like now you need to take land so highly, but you also need two drops to function. Like you, you're already something that I think to, to think about is already when you start off the draft with a Jet Mirror, you've got a bunch of boxes you need to check. Whereas when you start a draft with a powerful single color card, you have less boxes, right? You're sort of either keeping the future of your draft open or your options open or whatever, investing in the future of your draft. Whereas a card like Jetmere really restricts the things that you can do as the draft progresses. Well, once you go Jetmere into another Cabaretti card, into another Cabaretti card, how many more restrictions have you put on what you have to do for the rest of the draft? Whereas if you had just gone, okay, I'm just going to take this green two drop, this white two drop, whatever, something like that. Well, and to be clear, it is worth 
starting with Jetmir and taking that next Cabretti card. But then you need to immediately go into almost damage control mode in some mm-hmm. ways. Like, I just think if you think I am Cabaretti or I am Maestros, like, I think the only family that thinking I am X family is not a recipe for disaster in the format early on in the draft is I am brokers. I think it's yeah. okay to think I am brokers, but any other family, it's so tough. And I think even in brokers, thinking I'm brokers, brokers is the best of the families at being straight three colors, partially because white has so many good two drops that you can just be base white and then play all of your three color cards. That's one of the other nods in brokers favor. But I just think there's so much tension there in getting into the mindset of, okay, I'm drafting family X because you just end up with a such a tendency to let your two and three drops be an absolute mess. I love this next section that you have in the show notes about working inside out or outside in. I think that's a great way to frame it. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So this, I was just trying to think of a way to package this idea of like, you know, you're starting your draft with a white card like Rafine's Informant or as opposed to all the way on the other end of the spectrum, starting with something like Jetmir. So Either you're you're doing one of two things most commonly in the draft, and there, there are other things, but I think this is the most common thing. You're working inside out or outside in. And if you're working inside out, I think those are the drafts where you're starting with one color and you're trying to get deep into that color and then you pair a second color with it. So let's say even, you know, it's so easy to do with white. Let's say you're blue and you're trying to figure out whether you're pairing white with blue or black with blue. And then once you, you know, say you end up pairing black with blue, and then maybe you get a red card like Maestro's Diabolist or Corpse Appraiser, and then you're willing to splash one or two of those types of cards. That's what I would call the drafts where you're working inside out. And then the ones where you start with a powerful three color card, like let's say you start with a Jetmir or a Hostile Takeover or whatever. Those are the ones where you're working outside in. Like you already have this powerful three color card. And then you need to make sure that you hone down on, okay, if I start with hostile takeover, I'm either base blue black or I'm base red black, and you're trying to feel that out. So ideally, you want to be taking black cards as aggressively as possible so that you Mm -hmm. can feel out whether you're base blue black or base black red. And then once you feel that out, you got to get lands. And then maybe you're also adding another three color card or two to the mix. And I think it is important to know that once you have that powerful three color card, then you're a little more willing to splash, right? Because you already have to pick up the fixing because you know you have this powerful three-color bomb. But the drafts where you start inside out, you're very disincentivized from splashing unless you see one of those powerful three-color rares or busted uncommons. I want to ask you a question because I've found it really difficult to pivot in this format, especially in those, I guess, outside-in starts. Like, let's say you do start with a card like Jetmir. And, you know, because you already know that you have to make sort of like concessions to your picks, I found it hard then to go like pick five, like, am I supposed to take this snooping newsy that's clearly the best card? Or do I just keep on keeping on and take whatever, take the land for my jet mirror or take this like, whatever, the gardener as my green two drop, even though those cards aren't very good or important. Like, do you find yourself jumping ship or speculating? I find it really hard to do that in this format with some starts. Yeah, I agree. It's been rare that I have full on pivoted on those outside in drafts where you start with a very good three color card because yeah. you you have enough wiggle room between the two allied two color pairs that I think you're just supposed to try to be one of those two. But it, it I think that's the most interesting part of the format to me is there are a lot of hard decisions you have to make in the draft, especially in those drafts once you get the really good cards, mm-hmm. especially because the commons are 
pretty bad, like pat or flat, or I don't know what I want to say, but like past white, I mean, white has some busted commons or some just really strong commons in the sense of them being good two drops, et cetera. But past that, I found it really hard to, you know, make concessions. Whereas I often would feel fine about, you know, in, in Neon Dynasty, for example, feel fine about making some concessions to picks to stay on a color because commons could kind of run deep. But in this format, I think it, it, it's hard a lot of the times to get those like strong cards for your base two colors. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that you always talk about is you like draft formats where your pick orders have to fluctuate. And I think your mm-hmm. pick order has to be super dynamic in this format. Yes, like if, if you approach this format like neon dynasty where you're taking the best card out of every pack you're gonna have a really bad time i think and so just knowing which type of draft you're in whether you have more agency or less agency is really important to know i think the when you're working outside in and you have that three color card you have a lot less agency and have to make a lot more concessions and be a lot more disciplined or just totally pivot off of it. They're hard decisions to make. And the ones where you're working inside out, where you start one color, those are the easier drafts where you have a lot more agency and, but you still have to be a good drafter to, you know, make good use of the agency that you've been given by starting one color and then correctly deciding what your second color is. And then maybe correctly deciding to splash one or two, three color cards and get the fixing for it, you know? Right. Well, and those are drafts where you feel less bad about abandoning. Like, let's say, you know, you start off with Jewel Thief, Jewel Thief, and, you know, then green seems like it's dropping off and you see that snooping newsy. You feel less bad about speculating on a card like that in that situation. Whereas, and, and going, well, if blue black is open, I'll just do that. Whereas that this example of starting off with Jetmere, which is so powerful, it's a lot harder to pivot off of a start like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So let's take a look at, we've got a, a handful of examples here of, you know, we're not going to go like pick by pick, but giving you an example of a spot in a draft where you're going to make a concession to how things may play out to giving you flexibility or to enabling a powerful card you've already taken, that sort of thing. So first up here, uh, we're going to take a look at pack one, pick two after taking body launderer, which is two black, black for a three, three ogre rogue. It's a mythic with death touch. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, body launderer connives. And when it dies, return another target non-rogue creature card with equal or lesser power from your graveyard to the battlefield. I had this the other day, maybe it was this draft actually, where I just like, ended up with oops all rogues like i kept looking at my graveyard and i was like can i get this nope i can't get that can i get that back no i can't get that back they're all rogues (laughs) um so i've got that in my pile here pack one pick two here are the cards that i think are in consideration um in terms of black cards we got two really good removal spells we got murder one black black instant destroy target creature and then an uncommon i wonder where are you at on grizzly sigil these days ben this is black for the sorcery with casualty one choose target creature or planeswalker if it was dealt non-combat damage this turn it deals three damage to it and you gain three life otherwise it deals one damage to it and you gain one life yeah that's what i was thinking i was pushing back on and mentally i don't think either of these are very good removal spells i think they are playable murder is the worst it's ever been by i know right a lot i mean you certainly are casting it in your heavy black decks but like Mm -hmm. it's not a card you're going out of your way to pick up i don't think and grizzly sigil to me mentally i'm at its bone splinters if i want if my deck wants a bone splinters i want to play grizzly sigil if i don't have good sacrifice fodder i'm 
pretty uninterested in including Grizzly Sigil in my deck. Yeah, for sure. I had two copies of these at my disposal in the team draft the other day. I ended up only main decking one, bringing one in against, you know, uh, I think BK's deck had like hold for ransoms or whatever. I was like, okay, this will be good here against Marshall, who just was like on, you get two of the four fives, the Maestro's four five family fixers. And I was like, okay, Grizzly Sigil can't even kill that. So this is coming out. Um, but I like the flexibility. Sometimes when you get to pick off like two X ones, that feels pretty darn good. The life gain is relevant. I don't know. It seems like I'm still higher on this card, which probably just means I'm wrong. But anyway, so those are your <laughs> two cards to stay black with the body launderer. And then I would say the best card in this pack is probably Jewel Thief, two and a green, three, three, Vigi Trample. When it ETBs, you make a treasure token. Would you agree with that? Yes, I completely agree that Jewel Thief is the best card. So let's say you're like Ben, and you're pretty lukewarm on both of these black removal spells. Well, in a normal draft, you would just happily take Jewel Thief, right? Yes, I like think in so. a normal format where you could end up black green or whatever, like if this was a format where all ten color pairs were available to you, you would just take Jewel Thief. You're like, oh, this is one of the best commons. This is a great card. Happily take it, and then just move on with my day. But unfortunately, yes. if you take Jewel Thief here. You're effectively taking, because you really want to play Body Launderer because it's very good, you're effectively taking a Riveteer's card here, right? Because the only way you're going to bridge Jewel Thief and Body Launderer is by being red. And then you're base red, either base red, black, and then what we talked about before, do you really want to splash Jewel Thief in that situation? Or your base red green, which we've already talked about not wanting to be. But then if you're base red green, how are you casting Body Launderer? So you're already sort of deciding by taking Jewel Thief, then I have to be base red black. And then do I really want to splash Jewel Thief? No. So I'm going to make a concession here and take Grizzly Sigil or Murder. I took the Sigil here. I'm going to take a concession here to ensure that I can play Body Launder and to delay whatever that decision is about what am I going to end up pairing with the black cards that I have. Yes, I completely agree that it is right to pick Grizzly Sigil here, even though I don't like it. And I think you could maybe make a case for Jewel Thief and being willing to abandon Body Launderer. But if you take Jewel Thief, the, the mental shift I'm making is, okay, I'm either playing Body Launderer or I'm playing Jewel Thief, not both. And your subsequent yeah. picks are going to bias towards Body Launderer anyway. So it's pretty unlikely, like brokers would have to be super open for you to abandon Body Launderer here, I think, after picking Jewel Thief. And that's so unlikely to happen these days but right. i think you could make a case for it it's just important to note that you are almost never playing them in the same deck yeah i think that's that's the other thing so i had a coaching session yesterday where pack one there's a little bobbing and weaving and then some late red black cards like a really late body dropper i think a 10th pick girder goons and then and so i think we were in some sort of maybe riveteers land and then pack two pick one opened an elspeth and there was also a, another body dropper in the pack and we were reviewing this this draft, it, you know, it had happened already. And I was like, well, I think you take Elspeth here, but there's just, I, I don't think it's crazy to take Body Dropper in that spot. And, you know, based on what you think is was open at the table at the end of pack one. But the, it's more about understanding what the pick means for the implications of the future. Like you're yes. saying here, like you can take Jewel Thief here as long as you're aware when I take Jewel Thief, that just means I'm probably not playing these two cards in the same deck. And so how is that going to impact your picks in the future? Whereas when I take Grizzly Sigil, I'm saying, okay, I really want to play Body Launderer and I'm okay to take a hidden power level. It's okay to take Body Dropper in that spot over the Elspeth. It's also okay to take Elspeth over the Body Dropper, but you just have to understand what that means for what you have to do in the next two packs. Yes, I think that's what the most interesting part of this format is because there's the types of drafts where the whole way you're drafting towards you know, a two color deck and an allied color pair, and it's fine. But the drafts that are messier 
are really interesting in this format Mm -hmm. because then you're balancing like, okay, these cards aren't going in the same decks, but my third pick I'm going to put with this card. Oh, now my fourth pick I'm going to put with the second card I took. And -hmm. then you have like, you're almost drafting two decks, but you know, most formats it's fine to be drafting two decks simultaneously. It's Mm -hmm. really hard. And I don't think you want to get yourself in that spot in this format where you're, you're drafting two decks simultaneously, but those, those are the, the tough drafts. Yeah, for sure. All right, you got a pick to take a look at? We're going deep on this next pick that I've got from one of my drafts. We are on pack one, pick seven. You've already got the following cards in your main deck. You've got make disappear in your two drop slot. That's the counter spell. Run out of town. That's the put target permanent on top or bottom of their library. Uh, Removal spell for blue. You've got undercover operative. That's the rare clone. And then psychic pickpocket. That's the four and a blue three, two connive and then bounce something after you connive. Remember when you thought that card was bad? I do remember. I just had a really bad experience (laughs) with it early on. The card's great. Yeah. Amend any criticism of psychic pickpocket. Uh, I do think it's maybe a little worse than sealed because your deck's less likely to be proactive, but whatever. Sure. Uh, Dust Mangler also. Uh, that's the five black black five four, which is great. I think this as card a finisher, is so good. Yeah, people are like, "How are you getting into play?" I'm like tapping seven mana, like <laughs> or I think in red black, you know, you've got the treasure thing, like yeah. doing the, the three and a red make two treasures, curving into dust mangler on five is super strong. But anyway, five four. Whenever you cast it, you either have to sack a creature, discard a card, or pay four life. And then when it ETBs, each opponent sacks a creature, discards a card, and loses four life. And then we've got a waterfront district. So you've got a heavy blue base. Like we are playing blue. And you're still trying to figure out what you're pairing with blue. And you've got a choice here between Majestic Metamorphosis as a fine blue combat trick that doesn't pair super well with any of your cards currently. Uh, The Tuna Blue Instant target artifact or creature becomes a 4-4 angel with flying and you draw a card. And then I think the best card in the pack as Freelance Muscle, 4 and a green 4-4 when it attacks or blocks, gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the greatest power and toughness among other creatures you can control. And there's also, I think, maybe even potentially in consideration, a fake your own death, one in a black instant until end of turn, target creature gets plus 2 plus 0, and when this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control, and you make a treasure token. So... A lot of things to consider here. One, I think the best card in the pack is Freelance Muscle, though it's weirdly, this is not performing well according to the data. Like it's just sort of like average. It's got a 55.2% game in hand win rate. Oh, I have Um, a much higher opinion of it than that. I know I do too. I think it's great. It's just like one of the things we got a question about last week is like why we keep saying keyword big matters and like why do we think that or like what makes us say that? And I think partially it's just our experience of like seeing cards like Freelance Muscle on the battlefield and going, how do I deal with this thing? How am I supposed to mess with like a five mana effectively seven, seven in combat or whatever? Um, But you take freelance muscle here and you can't, there's no world where that card plus all the cards you've drafted make a deck, right? Sultai is not a deck for you to, to draft in this format. I agree. So then you're looking at Majestic Metamorphosis as the only blue card, which is is just good, I think, versus Fake Your Own Death, which I think is better, but you don't know that you're going to end up in blue-black, right? You you are likely to, right? Either blue-black-white or blue-black-red, but you could end up in a world where you're blue-white touching green in a, a broker's life, and that's probably where you'd like to end up being. So while I think Fake Your Own Death versus Metamorphosis, I prefer fake, Metamorphosis just keeps you blue, right? And that's going to keep more options for you later in the draft right there were kind of two mana considerations there like freelance muscle is the best card but you can't pair it with your blue cards and you're so blue that and there's a world where you could say well freelance muscle goes in brokers i'll take freelance muscle and i'll be brokers 
Freelance mm-hmm. muscle isn't good enough to splash in your broker's deck, no. and you don't want to be, and you don't want to be base blue green. So you know it's going to be a splash. Like I think that's the layer that not enough people are thinking about. Like freelance muscle is a five drop. I'll play brokers and I'll put it in my five drop slot. It's not good enough to play in your broker's deck in a five drop slot. Right. Like what? It's not like going to shore up any hole for you. Like you're going to be able to. You want a finisher? You can get the stupid four six crocodile. Right. Like you don't need to splash a card like that. And I think similar to okay, there are going to be some times where you start with jet mirror and you're going that sort of like outside in way to draft the format. There are going to be times I think where you you can end up a base blue green deck splashing white right where your white splashes are overseers and disciplined duelists and lagrellas or whatever and that's doable right if you're too if if you don't see any civil servants and then maybe you just get two drops from green and blue and that's fine but that's again going to happen super rarely one of the reasons that doing that sort of you know you can be two of the three colors, the two enemy colors in a family, that's just going to happen so rarely or so disincentivized to do that because one of the best things to get from finding the open two color pair is those two drops. Yes. Preach. I feel like we're berating the listener right now. Listener, I hope you don't feel berated. <laughs> well, I think I think we're also excited that like we're coming. I think we've been disagreeing a lot about the format and are finally like at something where we're like, yes, we agree. We're on the same page here. Yeah. And I think even the fake your own death, right? Fake goes super well with Pickpocket, pickpocket and operative, but and, I think yeah. you're you're willing to make a concession here. I think to leave wide open, despite Metamorphosis being pretty underwhelming with the cards you currently have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah, you could sure. make a case that Fake's the correct pick as well. But then you just need to make that knowing that taking Fake here pushes you towards more blue black. Like you're just willing to make that pick, knowing okay, I'm cutting off white a little bit more if I take Fake your own death here. Yep, for sure. All right, next up, we'll take a look at a draft here. Pack one, pick four after taking a getaway car, which is the three mana rare vehicle. Uh, it's a four, three with haste and crew one. And whenever it attacks or blocks, you can return up to one target creature that crewed it this turn to its owner's hand. Also got a couple removal spells in murder and sleep with the fishes. So black card, blue card, colorless card. Pack one, pick four. Our options are the following. You've got a snooping newsy, the blue, black, two, two, ETBs, mills, two. And then as long as there are five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard, it gets plus one, plus one and has lifelink. There's a courier's briefcase, which I like. But again, like, are you really going to end up in Sultai? That's the one in the green artifact treasure that makes a 1-1 citizen. And then there's Cormella Glamour Thief, which is one blue, black, red for a 2-4 with haste. One tap, add blue, black, red, spend this mana only to cast instant and or sorcery spells. And when Cormella dies, you return up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, I think this is an, an interesting one here. I think there's little to no consideration for courier's briefcase for me because it's it's an enemy colored card with both of the colors you already have yep so you're, you're never playing it with either sleep of the fishes or murder so i think it comes down to snoozy versus cormella and the snoozy is so good because it's a, yeah. a two drop and it keeps you open to either maestros or obscura right mm-hmm. i mean cormella is great but there's no reason to lock yourself into maestros yet when you can potentially get you know cards like inspiring overseer or some of the other great blue white gold cards to put in your base blue black deck yeah and i don't even know when i did this draft but like i'm looking at it and i took cormella here and when i was pulling when i was going through all my draft logs trying to find examples of picks here i, I like this as an example but i think i made a mistake in taking Cormella, I think I'm just supposed to take Snooping Newsy here for all the reasons you said. It's a good two drop and it keeps me open later in the draft. I can either just be blue black or I can wait to figure out which of white or red I want to do a light splash for. 
Yes, it was rough looking back at draft logs for this yeah. episode. I was thinking like, what were you doing here, Benjamin? Because mm-hmm. like, yeah. I think as the format's gone on, I've really solidified how I want to draft, which is, I think, based on the bottom of my curve, two drops, three drops, try to get into those two colors, and then maybe you feel out the family thing. And I, mm-hmm. I'm very particular at this point about how powerful a three-color card I pick is. And I think Cormella later in the draft, after I've already got good spells and a good Maestro's control base, sure, I'll stretch for that if I've got the fixing. But early on, I don't know that I want to do that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. All right, next up, we've got another pick here. We're zooming in on pack one, pick four. You've got Hypnotic Grifter. That's the single blue uncommon that can connive for three mana. Tenacious Underdog, the one in a black 3-2 rare that can blitz for paying two life, and you can cast it from your graveyard. And you've got Girdagoons, the four in a black 4-4 with blitz, and when it dies, you make a 2-2 rogue. You're looking at the following cards as options. There is Mayhem Patrol as premium red 2-drop, one in a red for the 1-2 with menace, and whenever attacks, target creature gets plus 1 plus 0 until end of turn, and you can blitz it. There's... Sizzling Soloist, three and a red for a three-two. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, target creature and opponent controls can't block this turn. It's the second time the ability resolve that creature attacks during its controller's next combat phase, if able. That card's underwhelmed me, I would I, say. I agree. Yes. Like it's I, it's just worse than plasma jockey every time, I think. Whoa, I don't know if I'm there yet or not, but I, I have been underwhelmed enough that I would believe it for sure. Yeah. I'm just like thinking, I trying to figure out if there's ever a time that I would take soloist over jockey, and I don't think I would. Yeah. And then there's Scheming Fence in the rare slot if you maybe wanted to abandon some black cards. Uh, white, blue for a 2-3. When it ETBs, you can choose an on-land permanent. Activated abilities of the chosen permanent can't be activated. And it has all activated abilities of the chosen permanent except for loyalty abilities. You can spend mana as though it were mana of any color to activate those abilities. And then finally, as a last option here, there is Crooked Custodian. One in a black for a 3-2 and ETBs tapped. This is such an interesting pick because I think even I don't, I don't know how many days ago I would be like, this is crazy. Like Custodian, <laughs> I think, is in any format, it would be replacement level, right? In any usual format, you'd be like, yeah, this is fine, but I'm never going to miss it. But this is a format where like I look at this and I go, a two drop, you say? <laughs> like <laughs> I know, right? Sexy. <laughs> and so even though it comes into play tapped, you're still like, eh. And, and like even though maybe it's not going to trade with anything exciting, though I will say. It trades with Jewel Thief. Crooked Custodian trading with Jewel Thief is huge. Trades with Civil Servant. Like I want, one of the cards I wanted to ask you about too was Backstreet Bruiser, the one in a blue 3-3 three, three with Defender that if you have two counters on your creatures, it can attack. Like just having two drops that can trade with Civil Servant is really important in the format, I think. I agree. You want to make sure you're controlling if you're putting Backstreet Bruiser in your deck because it's a pretty big feel bad if you're blue-white yeah, tempo yeah, and then yeah. like hit the Backstreet right. Bruiser that you have in your deck. I think it's mm-hmm. a very good blocker in a Maestro's control deck, though, yeah. Yeah, I think so for sure. Or, you know, you can be in a, a base blue-white Flyers deck for sure that that wants a Bruiser to hold the ground or whatever. But yeah, well, I think that's a boon for Crooked Custodian. One, that two drops are so bad and that um, it having three power, I think, is important. But so I look at this pack and I go, I'm pretty happy to take Mayhem Patrol. Like, Mayhem Patrol is a great red two drop. I look at the two black cards that we have. I would like those ideally to be. I think those are going to be better in black red than they are going to be in blue black as a base. And I'm fine. Like, I like Hypnotic Rifter fine, but I'm like not going to be mad if we give up on it. But now I'm just like, well, yeah, Crooked Custodian is probably worse than Mayhem Patrol, but maybe not by that much. And then it just keeps you flexible. Like you get to just stay black and then delay the decision of what the second color is and then delay the decision of what third color you may want to splash. Right. And I I think I even said something while I was looking at the pack that I don't think is necessarily intuitive to a lot of people. Like Scheming Fence is 
fine to good. Like it's yeah. a good two drop. It's a good two. But even if it's a little better than it is, I don't think you should ever play Scheming Fence and Tenacious Underdog in the same deck. And I think a lot of people look at this and say, mm. oh, sweet, a rare. I've got blue and black cards already. I can be Obscura. I don't think you can have that mentality. There is not a deck I can picture in this format where I want the Hypnotic Grifter, Scheming Fence, Tenacious Underdog, and Girder Goons in the same deck. And I think a lot of people see that and think three color format, Obscura, great, lock it in. Well, because, so let's let's break that down because the the there's, a, again, there are a lot of these like chain reaction implications of, okay, so I take Scheming Fence, which means I have to be base blue white, which is fine, base blue white, and I have to then be splashing black which is fine for Girder Goons. It's really not fine for Tenacious Underdog, not because like Underdog is a bad late game card, it's totally fine, but because the Blitz cost is black black. Yes. And so you can't actually splash that, or you can, but then your mana base has to be either abysmal or you have to get so lucky with lands where like you can get to a point where you're like 11 10 7 with your white, blue, and black sources or whatever. It's just not not worth it. And also is like, Yes, you then can splash underdog, but underdog is going to be best in a deck that can pressure your opponent. And that's not a deck where you're interested in splashing a black, black blitz card. Right. And so the card that actually goes the best with your your cards is Mayhem Patrol. But then you're narrowing options Mm -hmm. and potentially making your mana base worse when Crooked Custodian is good enough, I think. I think so. And again, I don't if someone had this pack and took Mayhem Patrol here, I don't think that's a mistake. I agree. Like, I think it's I think it's fine to take patrol. You're just you have to recognize what that means versus taking Crooked Custodian. And if you're okay with that, I think that's fine. Like, I'm not here to say I think that's part of what's interesting about this format is that there are unlike, I think, Neon Dynasty, which felt like there are just right picks and wrong picks. In this format, I find myself a lot of times when reviewing draft logs going, you could take one or the other. You could do these things. You just then have to understand what that means for what you have to do in the future. Yes. All right. You want to walk us through one more here, Ben? Yeah. Last one. These are, I just like doing this so much. These are, these are fun. Yeah. this is. I think this is a really good way to sort of zoom in on what we're talking about here. So pack one, pick three. You have the following cards in your pile already. You've got an expendable lackey and a jewel thief. And I think already worth noting, you're probably not playing expendable lackey and jewel thief in the same deck because they're enemy colored cards and neither one of them is good enough to really splash in your base two color deck. So that should already be in the back of your mind. Pick three, you see the following cards as options. There's no really good green. There's a social climber. That's the 2G, 3-2 with alliance. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. There's Celestial Regulator as the best common in the pack. One white blue for a 2-3 flyer. When ETBs, you can tap something. And then if you control a creature with a plus and plus one counter on it or a shield counter, that creature doesn't untap during its next controller's untap step. There's also, in the uncommons, best card in the pack, Nightclubber, one black black for a 2-2 when ETBs, creatures your opponent's control get minus one minus one until end of turn, and you can blitz it for two and a black. So it's between Regulator and Nightclubber, right? Yes. And it's a a very interesting pick because, so Nightclubber is just clearly the best card here, I think, but it's what we've been talking about. Like you can't play Nightclubber, Lackey, and Jewel Thief. But I think because these are like, we're talking about you've picked a couple top commons or whatever, but you don't have anything that's like super powerful that you'd be sad to give up on, that I think you are okay taking Nightclubber here as probably now 
you know, you take Nightclubber and that's the best of the three cards you've drafted so far versus you could take Regulator and then there's a world where Regulator, Jewel Thief and Lackey all make your deck. But I don't think that's where you want to be at in terms of giving up on the power level of a card like Nightclubber. Right. I think this is pick is so interesting because the narrative is brokers, brokers, brokers. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you're hearing that, you could look at this pack and think, oh, Celestial Regulator. Great. I'll take that and I'll draft brokers. But you're this isn't a great brokers start. And I think you're giving up on a lot by passing up on Nightclubber. And by taking Nightclubber here, I do think that's the right pick. Mm-hmm. You just need to make sure you know you could pair it with Expendable Lackey. You're very unlikely to play it with Jewel Thief. And then this is one of those drafts where you're going to be working inside out. And you have a lot of agency over what you do from here. And I do think you want to bias towards Nightclubber. It's certainly the best card you have by a lot. And I don't think Brokers is so busted that you need to be you know, trying to not take cards like Nightclubber. That, that's my feeling. Well, and Clubber is so good against brokers, like taking out multiple throngs, taking out your overseers. Nightclubber is a very, very strong card in the format. Yeah. So I just think and these are only like three or four picks deep into the draft, most of them. And there's already so many things to think about. And mm-hmm. it, it gets more complex, like later in pack one, early in pack two. And then I think the complexity kind of calms down a little bit because you're pretty on rails, you know, should be anyway, towards the middle right. of pack two into pack three. But there's right. a lot of things to think about as you're picking what you want your deck to look like, how you want your curve to look like with your mana, and what picks mean for your mana and for your deck. Amen. I, I love that the inside out, outside in thing, I think is such a great way to sort of contextualize, like put your draft in one of those two buckets while you're drafting. Like, do I have something powerful that's multiple colors that I want to work towards a deck that can support? Or am I doing vice versa? And I'm starting off with single colored cards that are good, strong role players or reasons to be in a deck or rewards for being in a deck, and then figuring out where I'm going to be as a base two color from that. Yeah, I I love it. And I think if there's one thing we want you to take away from the episode, it is that this is not a three color format. Like, stop telling yourself I'm family X. Like, I think when you draft. Yeah, this is not this is not a family format. (laughs) Not family friendly. Not family friendly. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 